Well, once again, good morning. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Fellowship. Um, it's a joy to get to be with you as we uh, begin the morning celebrating Advent. So if you all would, if you stand, we're going to read our passage of Scripture this morning, which is John 1, 1 through 5. So stand with me as we, as we read that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. You can be seated. Well, this is a, a wonderful time of year for many reasons. Um, I love Christmas. I always have. Um, and I love Advent season. I love what we get to do during this time of year as we, as a, as a church, get to corporately anticipate uh, Jesus's, uh, or, or remember Jesus's arrival on earth as, as a human. And also, as we do that, to remember and to anticipate his, when he will come, when he will come again. And so if you've, uh, if you've been with us, we just finished the book of Colossians last week. We finished a series in the book of Colossians. And this week we're beginning a short series in the Gospel of John. Now John wrote this Gospel uh, as a way to, uh, to, to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the question we're going to be asking today as we go through these verses in John chapter 1. Who is this man called Jesus? Jesus. Now, if someone were to ask that question about you, who are you? Uh, it's interesting to think about some of the ways we would probably answer that question. We'd probably start with our name. Uh, maybe you'd start with what you're doing now, where you live, how long you've lived there, what you do during your days. You might rewind and tell someone a little more about your childhood, uh, what, where you grew up, what you like to do, and maybe if you were really feeling uh, uh, inspired, you'd actually tell them about your parents and um, how they met. And if the person's patient enough, uh, you could continue to go back further and further in your family tree and explain how, as, you know, as far as you knew, back in your family tree, and explain how all of those, all of those things, um, all those people, all those stories kind of had led to who you are as, as a person. Now, John is, is telling us the story of Jesus, and Jesus' story doesn't start in the manger, right? It does not start when he was born in that night in the manger. His, John actually pretty much skips over the entire story of Jesus' birth and summarizes it in a very, very short, short verse that we'll see later on, the word became flesh. Um, but he does something different. Instead of telling the, the, the family history of Jesus or telling about his birth, uh, he goes all the way back to before creation to tell us about who Jesus is, but back before time existed. And so by doing that, John in these verses is beginning to answer this, this very important question, perhaps one of the most important questions that a human can ever ask, which is, who is Jesus? Now, John's answer to that question, at least in these verses, has quite a few parts as he's introducing us to the Savior of the world and so we're going to look at four of them today, four different aspects of Jesus that John is drawing out for us in these first five verses of his gospel. The first we'll look at is that Jesus is and always has been God. Second, Jesus 
is how God shows himself to us. Third, that God created us through Jesus. And fourth, God gives us spiritual light through Jesus. Let me walk through those again. Jesus is and always has been God. Jesus is how God shows himself to us. God created us through Jesus. God gives us spiritual light through Jesus. And it's my hope today as we look at these verses that they would help us do what the, what the shepherds were doing right after Jesus' birth, to come to Jesus and to adore him. So let's, uh, let's begin by looking at our first point. Jesus is and always has been God. So if you look at verses 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles, open to John 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read those again. John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and uh, the book of Genesis, these first words will sound familiar because they are the very first words of the first book of the Bible from Genesis 1.1, which says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is where John wants us to start if we're going to understand who Jesus is. Back in the beginning, before anything existed, back before time, before any galaxy had been formed, before there were seas or land, before human beings were given breath, all before all of that happened, Jesus was. This being that John calls the Word already existed. So when Genesis begins to tell the story of God creating everything, the Word was there. And not only was the Word there, John says the Word was with God and the Word was God. And John repeats it again in verse 2, just to make sure he really emphasizes this point. The word, he was in the beginning with God. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, or if you're not a Christian, or wherever you're at in your, in your journey of faith, a relation to God, uh, that verse ought to make your eyes get a little bit wider as you read it. How is it that this being was with God before creation, and was God he was in the beginning with God. This verse gives us this, uh, this glimpse of what we call the Trinity. It's a glimpse into what we call uh, the Trinity, which is uh, how we talk about God being one God, but in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each of those persons is distinct from one another. Each person of the Godhead, of the Trinity, performs different roles in how God relates to us and how God relates to creation. Uh, but each person, in essence, each of them are God. So that's why we say that the Trinity is one God in three persons. And John will go on later in, in John 1.18 to say that the Word and the Father are so relationally and intimately connected that it's, it's almost as if uh, the Word is, is being in the Father's bosom or his chest. Your, your translation might say that the Word is, is at the Father's side. There's this extraordinary love and intimacy amongst the Trinity that we can only understand through analogies, like a, like a child snuggled into his father's chest. It's majestic and it's mysterious, mysterious, but we should expect that. We should expect it to be mysterious if an infinite God is explaining himself to, infinite mind, or to finite minds, to minds that are not infinite. It, it makes sense that it should cause a little bit of awe and a, and a lot of confusion. And a lot of awe. But to bring it back to our passage, what John is saying here is that this Jesus that you've heard about or that you've read about, he isn't just a man. He is a man, fully. 
but he is also fully God, and he always has been God, the Son of God. And so as we come to Jesus this Advent season, and as you remember the smallness and the fragility of the baby in the manger, remember who it is that that baby is and always has been, that he is the God who was before time. Second, uh, let's look at our second point. Jesus is how God shows himself to us. Now, you probably noticed uh, in these first five verses something, something uh, fairly unique. John doesn't uh, refer to, to uh, this being as Jesus, which is the name that we often, we often call the Son of God by, because that's the name that he had as he was a human on earth. Um, he uses the name the Word. Now, we're going to see later in the chapter that John is referring to Jesus, but it's, only, it's one, of these, uh, one of the few places in Scripture where this connection is made, that the Word, uh, where Jesus is called the Word of God. That's an important to talk about for a minute because this connection gives us an answer to a really, really important and very big question, uh, which, is that, which is this, um, can anybody actually know God? Can we actually know God? Are you, uh, there's a, a lawyer in the 1800s named Robert Ingersoll. He was known as the great agnostic. He once asked this question. <clears throat> Is it possible for the human mind to conceive of an infinite personality? Can it imagine a beginningless being, infinitely powerful and intelligent? And Ingersoll meant that rhetorically because uh, he thought the answer was no. No, you can't. A finite mind can't comprehend an infinite, an infinite God. Uh, and that's a very, very common way of thinking, I think, in our world around us, of, of thinking about God. Uh, we used to live in Philadelphia. I worked with college students, and when I would talk with students who weren't Christians, um, I, re- I, I actually don't think I ever met somebody who just straight up claimed there couldn't or wasn't a God. Instead, what most people would say, uh, they would have some version of, of Ingersoll's question in their mind, which is, maybe there's a God, in fact, probably there's some kind of God but there's no real way for me to, to have any shot at really understanding him. There's too many religions. There's too many ways of understanding who God is in the world around me. Um, there's, too mi- there's too much, right? And, and if God is God anyway, then how am I even supposed to understand who, who he is? Um, that was kind of typically the way that the thinking would go. And you've maybe heard or read about this elephant analogy that um, that's that Tim Keller made fairly famous, that all the world religions, some people think all the world religions are like these blind men feeling different parts of an elephant. And so one religion will say, well, God's like a snake because they can feel the tail. God's like a tree because they can feel the, the, the leg, etc. None have the full picture, but all of them are sensing different aspects of God. That's the way that that thinking can go. Um, now, that, that analogy is wrong-headed on a lot of levels. Uh, but... In terms of the idea that no religion can fully contain everything about God, in a sense, part of that is true, right? There, the God is far greater than any of us can know or understand. But uh, Joel Beakey makes this point, that if humanity's understanding of God depended on our pursuit of understanding God uh, without God's help, then we would be in trouble. But that is not the case. It's not where God has left us. God hasn't left us in the dark. He doesn't make it so we have to figure him out without any help or learn about him without help. Instead, what he did was he came to earth to show us what he is like, to reveal himself through Jesus Christ, through the word. 
And so that's what the word means. That's why John calls Jesus the word. Because Jesus, in a sense, is God's speech towards us, God's speech to us, because Jesus is God himself. He's the Son of God. And so while we will never, as finite humans, be able to understand everything there is to know about God, we can know true things about him, and we can know what we need to know about him because Jesus himself, God himself, has come to teach us about God. And he does this because through Jesus, God reveals himself to, be more, to us more clearly than anything or anywhere else. Now, during the Advent reading a moment ago, we read Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, which, says, which said this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so as we meditate on the life and the words of Jesus, as we go through this Advent season meditating on Jesus... What I want us to hear is that the eternal God is speaking to you as we do that. The eternal God is speaking to you through Jesus, through the word. And that kind of attention is extraordinary. That God Almighty is speaking to you through his word. So as we come to Jesus this Advent season, as we behold the Son of God, as we look at his life and his teaching, as we remember his sacrifice... All of it is God speaking to you about himself. It's a message from the supernatural world, from the king of that world, and from the king of this world as well. He's speaking to you through his word. So don't ignore it. and Don't be distracted by the activities of the seasons so that you don't pay attention to what the word is saying. Let's move on to our third point. God has created us through Jesus. Now, if, you, uh, if you've got your Bibles, look again at verse 3. John is still has the beginning of all time in view. He says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, this is hearkening back to, to, to some other areas in Scripture. Psalm 33, verse 6 uh, says that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And then later in Psalm 33, it says this, let all the earth fear the Lord, but all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So when we go back again to Genesis 1, it tells us how is it that God made everything. There's this, there's this pattern that you notice throughout Genesis. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. That, that pattern repeats, God said, and God said, and God said. And each time God said, let there be something, something new came into existence for the first time. God created the world through his speech. And John is making the connection here between that speech of God and the Son of God by saying that all things were made through Jesus. All things were made through the word that without him there was nothing made that was made. Now that word through is really interesting, isn't it? What does that mean? That, that God made the world through Jesus. God created everything through him. Now in the book uh, you may have read called The Magician's Nephew, C.S. Lewis tells the story of Aslan creating the world that he calls Narnia. Probably, you may be familiar with this story. A group of people from London use these magic rings. They wind up falling through a pool that lands them in Narnia. It's dark. Um, there's no light, no noise. And then uh, 
as they're kind of trying to figure out what's happened, they begin to hear a voice singing. And as this voice sings, uh, things begin coming into existence around them. There are mountains all of a sudden, and water, and trees, and animals that can talk. Um, And this group eventually sees that the singing is coming from the lion Aslan. Aslan's the son of the king. He's the lion that symbolizes Jesus in Lewis's world of Narnia. And as Aslan sings, what was once nothing becomes this, this vibrant world of life and colors and waters and animals and stars. So Lewis was imagining this picture of the Son of God as the means by which God created the world. Now in Aslan's case, it was through singing. We don't know, uh, we don't know if there was any singing involved in the creation of our world. But we do know that it happened when God spoke. And that Jesus was the one who was actively involved in the action of creating everything that we know. All things were created through the word. Now, I feel as though I get to this point in this passage and it begins to feel like my mind is starting to stretch past the limits of what it can grasp about who Jesus is. And then John just continues to pile it on. There's more. He goes further in verse 4. Take a look if you've got it. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So what John is saying here is that Jesus is not only the creator of life, he is also the source of life as well. He didn't just create life, he is the source of our ongoing life together right now, which means he is, everything is alive uh, and is alive right now because of Jesus. He's holding all of it, all of us, all of us, all of the things we know together by the word of his power. If you were here during our series in Colossians, you might remember Paul writes about the same idea in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, where he says that everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus, and that everything is held together by him. Now, I know there are several families in our church who do a lot of gardening. I am not, we are not one of them. Uh, some folks here have gardens in their, back, in their uh, backyards. Some, I, I know, have uh, these public plots that you can rent out to to plant, uh, to plant your gardens. Um, I like the idea of being a gardener. I think it sounds cool. Um, but I, it would be a complete waste of money if we were to try to rent out a garden plot because as, um, as any of you who know me well might know, within about a week I would forget that I had it and in two weeks I would remember and then in four weeks I'd go back and take a look and see what it was like and we'd have some kind of mutant tomato growing or something. Um, but for those who are actually gardeners, and, and really any of us know, that gardening requires uh, ongoing, uh, ongoing care. It requires more than just planting seeds and leaving things alone. Um, if you leave a garden alone over time, with enough time, it will die, or it will start growing stuff you don't want, because gardens require ongoing tending and care for them to stay alive. Now, imagine if uh, the plants in the garden didn't just require you to plant them and tend them, weed them, water them, uh, but it actually required your ongoing presence just, just to remain alive at all times. And that's beginning to get at least a partial picture of what I think John is trying to tell us here about Jesus, what's going on here. We are each right now alive, right now, because Jesus is keeping us alive He's holding us together by the power, by the word of his power. And if he stopped holding us together at any minute, we would all decay and die. Because he's the source of our life. So 
so as we come and behold Jesus this Advent season, remember that we are coming to the one who created everything that we know. He created you, who's holding all things together right now. But it's not just physical life. Jesus is also the source of our spiritual life as well. And that's going to take us to our last point, that God gives us spiritual life and light through Jesus. There's a bit more to verse 4 that we haven't looked at yet. It's not just that life is in Jesus. It's also that life, that that life is the light of men, which means all people, men and women. So what does that mean, that the life in Jesus is the light of all people? Now, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus is using light. Jesus uses light as a way to talk about himself, that he is the light of the world. And so those who follow Jesus, because he is the light of the world, those who follow Jesus are walking in the light. So when we follow Jesus, it means that our eyes have been opened to our sin. We've seen our need for a Savior. Our eyes have been opened to see that Jesus is God and that he is the only path to salvation. And when I was growing up, my family would periodically stop to tour different caves or caverns. If you've done much driving through the Midwest, you probably have seen some of the old billboards that will advertise tours of caves. Um, and every once in a while we would do those. I remember one, we went a, a far way into the cave, and then they had everyone turn out every light that they had. And it was, it was dark. <laughs> it was dark. It was almost like a velvety darkness. Um, your eyes would like be straining for a minute to try to see something, and there's just no light, so you couldn't see anything. It was really interesting. If you're in that kind of darkness for a minute or two minutes, at least for me, what, what would happen is my sense of space would start to get messed up, I wouldn't have a sense of where I was. Um, my world would kind of collapse down just to myself um, and, it's, and my thoughts and the noise I was making. Um, but then, after a moment, they had everyone turn the lights on. Right? And in this, this very blinding second, you suddenly could see everything fine again. You understood where the walls were. You knew who was around you again. Um, everything became clear. I could see myself... Um, I had, but I had to have light. You had to have light to see, uh, to see yourself, to see your world around you, and to understand what was there. So John's explaining here, and he'll go on to explain all throughout his gospel, that this is what Jesus does spiritually for those who follow him. He turns on the light so you can see yourself. You can see your need for forgiveness for the things you've done wrong. You can see the sin that's inside of yourself. And you can see that Jesus is the only hope for forgiveness. And when that happens, it means that you have become a new creation. That God has recreated you. He's made you new. And it's through Jesus that God is recreating those who trust in Jesus for salvation and who choose to follow him by giving them spiritual light. And so the word who created physical life and created physical light as well, is also the one who gives us spiritual life and spiritual light too. As theologian Don Carson says, both the light of creation and the light of redemption are in Jesus. And that light, as John says in verse 5, has not been overcome by the darkness. <coughs> Excuse me. Now there is some ambiguity to that last verse, that verse 5. Um, that seems intentional on John's part. But there's also a very clear truth, and that is that the darkness of sin, the darkness of the evil forces of Satan, 
were dealt a death blow when the Son of God became a human, when he became a man, because he was going to go on to take the darkness onto himself when he died on the cross, so that we who follow him could walk in the light. But even though Jesus died, and John saw it, John saw Jesus die, John can still write here that darkness has not overcome the light because Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life. God raised him back from the, from the dead. And he's alive right now. And so we can know that the darkness has not overcome the light. And we can see that in our own lives and in our world around us too, if we look for it. We can see it when we, when we get to celebrate baptisms as a church family. Where Jesus' light shines, the darkness can't win. When we hear stories of the faith of our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing intense persecution for their faith and yet remain faithful to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we can see the darkness will not overcome the light. We can see this in our own lives. When we sense the Holy Spirit's at work to, to perhaps make us uncomfortable about some sin that we haven't confessed, something in our, our hearts that we've not given to Jesus, he makes us uncomfortable, won't leave us alone until we bring it into the light. Confess it, give it to Jesus, and turn away from that sin. The darkness has not overcome the light, and it never will. The darkness never will overcome the light. This is Kind of cool to think about. When John wrote this, this church was growing. The church of Christ was growing, but it was still very small. And I'm sure it seemed fragile to many believers in that day. But today, thousands of years later, there are countless people who would choose to give up their lives for the sake of following Jesus because he gave his life for them. In two millennia, the darkness has not overcome the light, and it never, never will. So as we come and behold Jesus this Advent season, remember that the maker, the creator of life and light is the source of our spiritual light as well, and that his light has defeated the darkness. I'm grateful we get to spend time in John during these weeks leading up to Christmas and to allow God's word to, to help us remember and meditate on who Jesus is, who our Savior is. If you're a believer, your Savior has existed before the earth existed. It was through your Savior that everything that we know came into being and was made and is still being held together in existence right now. Your Savior loved the world he created enough to reveal himself, to show us the Father through, him, through himself by becoming a human being. And your Savior is the one who gives you life and light, physically, but spiritually as well. And if Jesus isn't your Savior, if you're not a follower of Christ, some of what we've seen today is true about you too. Um, you are being held together right now by his gracious power, but you don't have the light yet. It may feel like when it comes to God, you're in a cave, you can't really see anything, or maybe you kind of resonate with that quote from earlier from the lawyer, Ingersoll. Um, you feel like you can't really know anything about God, although I suspect that road will make you eventually will leave you with more questions than answers now or later. But I encourage you, if that is you, you can have the light turned on. If you look to Jesus for the answers to your questions, look to his teaching, look to his word, look to his life, what we learn about him from the Bible. That's where the light is. 
And if you follow him, he will turn on the light for you. He'll make you devote your life to him. He'll have you give your sins to him and have you ask for his forgiveness through his death. But he will give you his eternal life and clarity and the peace of spiritual light and life in exchange. And he will give you the right to become a child of God. And so for all of us, let's not forget who it is that came to us in that manger. As we, as we remember Jesus' birth over this Advent season, that baby Jesus is the Son of God who created the world, shows us what God is like, and is the way that God is giving life and light to the world. The light has come, and so let's adore him together. Let's pray. Jesus, we do adore you. When we realize who it is that is in that manger, we cannot help but wonder at your majesty, at the mercy that you showed us by coming and becoming a man to show us God. So we thank you for that. We ask that you would use this Advent season to help our minds and our hearts grow in our wonder and awe of you. We ask that you would encourage our hearts to know the majesty of our Savior and to know the promise that the darkness has not and will not overcome the light. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.